Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hi everyone, I'm Emma and this is How Long Have You Got, the Identity Podcast. When you first meet someone, the typical question is often, where are you from? And why shouldn't people be curious about your story? It seems like an innocuous question, but for many of us, it's a loaded one. Often we respond by saying, how long have you got? Because can we really pin it down and does it matter? I'll be speaking to some great people who are quite simply doing great things. People from all walks of life who are willing to share their stories. Of life, of love, of work and more. We'll see where the stories take us and the depths we reach or the heights we attain. Grab a drink, get your walking shoes, or just find your space. How long have you gone? Welcome to this week's episode of How Long Have You Got, the Identity Podcast, where we'll be talking about all things sex. We've explored some interesting topics so far, ranging from the power of the human breath to discover one's sense of purpose, to uncovering what masculinity is and what it looks like in the 21st century. Now, coming from a marketing background, I know the cliche that sex sells, but I also know that it runs far deeper than just that and that sex is intrinsically linked to more than the physical. Yet, despite its presence everywhere, I think many of us struggle to talk about it, let alone talk about it in a way that is meaningful to us. Which is why we are super excited to have Shelby Sells with us today to explore the topic of sex in relation to the ownership of self and attachment styles, as well as sexual expectations and misconceptions. Shelby is a love, sex, and life coach based in New York and has amassed a huge social following. She is currently finishing her degree in behavioral psychology with an emphasis on human sexuality to pursue a career in sex therapy. She uses her holistic background in transformational life coaching to empower authentic relationships with the self and others, and her mission is to hold space for all people to explore their sexuality and relationships with healthy attitudes. Shelby, it's such a pleasure to have you with us today. Thank you for joining us. Thanks so much for having me, Emma. So so tell us, Shelby, how exactly does one become a love and sex expert? How has your upbringing <laughs> contributed to, to, to what you're doing now? Yeah, well, it wasn't exactly my childhood dream, um, but I'm so happy to be here now. I think that for me... Um, I guess essentially it started 10 years ago. Uh, I've always had a passion for people and people's experiences. Um, and I've always been fascinated with dating and love and sex. You know, there it's such a different experience for each individual person. So I was living in LA and, and I was I was going out a lot and um I was I was in fashion school at the time um but really getting my bearings in LA I'm not from there I'm from a very small town um in Idaho and yeah I was meeting so many people and I I was always the girl at the party that was like 
okay, like, who are you seeing? Who are you having, you know, who are you hooking up with? What's the tea? Like, I need all the info and just kind of naturally cheerleading everyone on, you know, because when there were people who are in love, you know, not a lot of people, <laughs> not everyone wants to hear about that. You know, some people are like, ugh, gross, you know, <laughs> like, keep that away from me. Um, or I had friends that were, you know, who would say like had pegged a guy and they were like, Oh, I did this crazy thing. I don't know if everyone wants to hear about that, but I'm like, Oh my God, Oh my God. Tell me, tell me all the details. Tell me how you fell in love. Tell me what strap on you used to peg this guy. Um, and it eventually turned into, I was kind of prompted by a friend to get creative and and so I, I started a blog called Pillow Talk. God, I, I don't even know the year, probably like 2011, 2012. And from there, I just started interviewing and recording all my interviews with friends and, and peers. And then it turned into um, different artists, you know, and musicians and um, all of these other people with bigger followings. Um, which kind of helped <laughs> my following mm -hmm. grow essentially. But I realized that through, because I, I would get such wonderful feedback, um, not only from my subjects who I was interviewing, but also, you know, from, from my audience online and from my subjects, they, <laughs> they were like, I feel like I just had a therapy session or I've never been able to discuss subjects like these before, like, I feel like a weight has been lifted off my chest. And, and then my audience online was just blown away. They were like, I don't feel so alone. I can't believe that this rapper that I've looked up to, you know, forever is talking about this. You know, I feel so connected to these people that I look up to. And so when I moved to New York eventually, well, five years ago, um, I decided to take it more seriously. I got my, my coaching certification, um, to be able to hold space professionally. Um, not that you can't do it otherwise, but it was important to me to kind of go through that journey myself. I'm glad that I did. And now, um, getting my degree to be a certified sex therapist and all along the way, I've had about 10 different careers. I had a photography career. I have, you know, and still have a writing career, um, creative directing, um, directing for films. So it's been a wild ride, but I'm so happy to be here. So, so do you do you, do you feel like Shelby this this title that um that you garnered the cheerleader for love was that a title that um would you say came about um when you were in LA or what what was your past like pre LA growing up what was your what was your background like um you know so my <laughs> my friend who gave me that title <laughs> she wrote me <laughs> up for um for a piece i thought it was so cute because I'm naturally very bubbly. I've always been, you know, I'm, I'm a Libra for the astrology kings and queens and they thems out there. Uh, I'm a Libra. I'm naturally very bubbly and I'm naturally very uplifting. Um, I'm happy to be that person because I think that so many people 
I realize so many people don't maybe don't have that all the time. Um, yeah. Just like in my interview series, I realized how little I think people actually are listened to in their day to day lives, and maybe that gap has even expanded since I first began because you know everyone's so consumed with social media, da da da. Um, but growing up. I grew up in a very kind of like strict household. Um, I grew up fairly religious, so sex was very taboo for me. It was not, <laughs> you know, it was always like, okay, when you get married and you have a, you know, then you will show your love one way <laughs> and have children. You know, sex was only, sex was about having procreating essentially that's how it was described to me and it was very scary it was you know abstinence only um sex education in my school and uh kind of like oh if I have sex then I'll contract something and die or get or get pregnant out of wedlock and how shameful that would be um and I remember growing up reading <laughs> magazines like Mary Claire or, um, you know, whatever, uh, Cosmo or just all of the, you know, like gossip magazines and like ladies magazines and reading all these different stories. And I was like, oh, it sounds so fun. And then getting older, you know, I was a little bit of a late bloomer myself, which I'm happy to have been, but... Uh, I loved hearing everyone else's stories. I just love listening and gathering information on everyone else, you know, I, uh, so that I, I don't know, I can almost, um, it helps me shape who I am as well, you know, just kind of seeing yeah. what the general public is up to and then seeing what I'm up to. But it was always nice being able to hear everyone's stories. And I, I absolutely loved how different they all are. I thought that that was so cool. <laughs> You know, and while there are similarities that make me feel connected to other people, I think that it's fabulous that, you know, no two experience are ever the same. So we could both hook up with the yeah. same person and have entirely different experiences. And, you know, it, it's neither good nor bad here nor there. It just is what it is. So I think that's how no, it, yeah. Absolutely. No, no. I, I think I think you make a very interesting point and a very valid point, especially around uh, feelings of guilt and shame, um, oh, yeah. which you talk about having experienced when you were growing up. And I hmm. think a lot of people um, experience um, feelings of, of shame as they're discovering their own sexuality. Oh, and yeah. So how did you how did you feel like you over overcame this? Well, or how do you and um, oh, no, <laughs> you saw the look on my face, and you were like, "Oh God!" Um, no, one of one of the most, I guess I don't know if it's a backhanded compliment, but people are always like, "Oh yeah, no shame." I'm like, "Oh God, okay, okay." Um, but no, I think for me it was kind of an unlearning of of my religious background that really helped me. Um, and part of that unlearning was just kind of seeing, and I mean, I think that I just wanted for the record, 
everyone is allowed to believe whatever they are want to believe, you know, please. I think religion can be very beneficial for a lot of people. For me, it just wasn't a thing. So don't, you know, I don't want anyone to take what I'm saying super personally or to heart. But for me, in the very specific church that I grew up with, there was a lot of hypocrisy. And, and also I was hanging out with one of the preacher's kids who ended up passing away really early um, and unexpectedly. So that was really tough. But she was like a wild child and she was, you know, doing drugs and hooking up with boys. And I was like, oh, <laughs> you know, and I'm like, well, if you're doing it and your dad is the pastor, you know, and then just getting older, unlearning these things. And I had friends who, you know, all of my friends were more sexually experienced than me. I was, I was slow to warm. Um, but only cause I was cautious. I wanted to be cautious of my body and, and my experience. And I had friends who helped me along the way, which was nice. Um, who were like, you need to try masturbating. <laughs> and then also <laughs> told me, you know, how to, how to give a hand job or whatever. Uh, very straight <laughs> sex ed stuff, but also friends who, you know, um, girls that I hooked up with too, you know, the, I was like, Oh, okay. So sexuality is not so black and white. It's a spectrum. It's not just with men. And so it was just, um, it's always been a learning process. And, and I guess maybe you are right in some ways that I'm, there is still shame in, in my job, just even speaking about sex or, being mm. being a sexually liberated woman people try to shame me all the time i don't feel ashamed about it <laughs> i think it's fabulous but i'm have a great life but you know i've had partners try to shame me for it i've had just people on the internet try to shame me for it i've had you know people in certain peer groups try to put shame on me and so I still deal with it quite a bit. I would have to agree with you. I mean, I come from a very liberal upbringing, so quite quite different from yours. Um, you yeah, know, um, mine was pretty conservative. Yeah, yeah, but you know, so um, my my mother's Swedish, father's English. You know, Swedes, you know, typically get stereotyped with having um, slightly more um, open minded um, attitudes and approaches to sex. I suppose. Um, you know, it's it's funny that um, you talk about your friends or people generally um, saying that you have no shame and not knowing whether or not it's a, a backhanded, backhanded compliment. <laughs> yeah, because cause I, I, I often get told by even like my, my close friends that I speak about sex often and that I speak about it so openly. But I think, why not? And I guess the question I have for you is why do you think in the 21st century sex is still such a taboo subject for so many? Uh, I mean, it's interesting. Like you even mentioned, Shelby, when we spoke some weeks ago now that you know, once upon a time or s several times you had, you know, over 100,000 followers on Instagram. So I'd love to just like understand your, 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 your thinking behind why it, it, it's so taboo still. Oh, geez. There are so many reasons, I'm sure. Um, none of them make sense to me personally, because I think it's really a block, becoming a block <laughs> in terms of people being able to connect with each other and, and also experience pleasure. 
um, and just feel good in their day-to-day -day lives. But I think, you know, it comes down to so many things. Um, one, we're talking about how all of these countries are made up. So in the United States, there's very much a puritanical veil, you know, from when it was founded, you know, a very violent, um, horrific history, you know, all of these things shaping how we view sex and relationships now. So sex is inherently political. There are so many things that go into it, whether you're talking about race, um, gender, you know, sexual identity in terms of maybe being in the LGBTQIA community, um, which I'm bisexual, uh, just for the record, but all of these things make it up. And then when you're going, you know, so you have to think about the past and then thinking about the present, you know, where, where did you grow up? <laughs> like if you grew up in a place like New York city, which I, where I am now, you know, you might've had a very different experience. If you grew up, you know, in the sticks in Idaho, you might've had a very different experience. Um, and accessibility to education, you know, there, education is a spectrum, you know, it, it's institutional. Um, but it, which in my opinion needs a lot of help. <laughs> we could, I think do with more education and having resources around sex. So uh, lack of education and then, um, and then that, so the lack of education with the puritanical veil, that kind of stuff, coupled with um, the sex cells, you know, over-sexualization in media, like, those two binaries <laughs> make for a very confusing gray area. You know what I mean? Yeah. So Yeah, I do. It leaves a lot of people feeling confused about sex. It leaves a lot of assumptions about sex. So we don't talk about it at all over here, but what I see is this. So I'm going to emulate this, you know, and it's like, whoa, that none of that is really true, you know, and it, and it literally up until maybe like the last year or a couple years, has there even been like inclusivity in media at all, you know, showing different kinds of relationships, again, showing you know, relationships of different races, of interracial couples, of, of any of the spectrum of LGBTQIA, of disabled couples, of, you know, couples on the spectrum, like all of these different things that are real, real relationships in real life. So, uh, you know, well, I think, I, can I ask you, yeah. what, what, what advice would you have Shelby for those who are finding it difficult to be open with themselves or, or with others. Um, cause I'm sure we'll have a bunch of listeners now who perhaps are open minded about sex and wanting to explore and learn, but are having difficulties or challenges in, in actually being able to speak about it or admitting that they're open about sex. Oh yeah. Well, one, I would say that that's completely it's normal to be, it's not everybody is born and like, boom, let's get into it, you know? And if you're a little bit more reserved and you're speaking about sex, like that's okay too. You know what I mean? I think the, just like any 
topic, you know, it's important to keep an open, an open mind. I call it a beginner's mindset because you never know what you might learn. And I, and part of my journey as a coach and listening to so many different kinds of people from so many different kinds of backgrounds, all ages, you know, is, is how much I've learned. I'm like, Oh, whoa. So sex could be like this. So sex could look like this. So love could be like this. You know, and it's done nothing but open up my mind to be like, oh, wow. So again, like I was only expecting love and sex to look this one very specific way. And I realized I was missing out on all of the different ways I could be receiving love and pleasure. So I think um, I think it's, you know, if you are a little bit more cautious, but you are also curious um, that's okay. And just start doing your own research. And maybe, you know, for you, some of the first steps are having conversations with people that you trust. So ring mm-hmm. up your best friend and be like, hey, uh, hey I'm just wondering, <laughs> you know, like, do you experience this? Like, or, you know, uh, um, or you can talk to a professional like me. I love having these conversations and, you know, There are so many wonderful sex educators, coaches, doulas, therapists, um, and just peers in general, like professional peers that you can reach out to um, that are, you know, people that are um, professionals on certain subjects or certain identities, um, you know, ethical non-monogamy or whatever it is and whatever you're interested in. But um, I would, I would just be, I would just get curious and embrace it instead of, you know, I think there's a a lot of fear. And so what we want to do is take that curiosity and coming from an open heart and an open mind versus a fearful heart and a fearful mind. You know, I think when we're living in a fear mindset, that's kind of where like hatred is, is grown. Um, Mm. but if you're coming from a loving place, you know, it's okay to be cautious and curious and it's okay to not be into some things. You know, I think that there's a common misconception that because I, you know, I'm a sex coach that, oh, I must just be into everything and down for everything. And that's just not true. You know, like everyone has boundaries and I'm not going to yuck anybody's yum, but you know, my sexuality has changed a lot over the years. Some things that I was really into when I was younger, I'm not into now. And some things I would have never wanted to do when I was younger, I am totally down for now. Um, The great thing about sex, the great thing about relationships is that they're fundamentally dynamic. They're constantly um, subject to change, you know, and there can be consistency and somewhat stability in those spaces. But I think that it's brilliant that we're allowed, that we're allowed to grow and change and we don't have to be stuck and confined to this like stagnant state, you know, where I can only have sex this one way forever. It's like, oh, no, you know, I think it's great that we grow and that, you know, our desires um, are flexible. Absolutely. No, I think, uh, you know, for sure, we, we certainly, you know, evolve as human beings. Um, and, and I'm particularly interested, you talk about um, trust in relation to different identities and, and personalities. And um, I think this too is a concept that evolves as we um, evolve as human beings. But 
some people, um, you know, I look at, I look at some of my friends, you know, are, are able to have more casual, no strings attached sex, um, whilst others seem to fall in love, you know, the first time they have sex with someone new. Mm. Um, I mean, you know, speaking personally, this has certainly changed for me over the years as well. I think it was easier for me when I was younger to have, um, you know, more no strings attached type of sex, whereas now I'm perhaps looking for something a little bit more meaningful. But I'm, I'm interested to know if you think that our attachment styles, so for our listeners who don't know what the attachment styles are, the anxious, avoidant, secure, which have, you know, formed during our early childhood, like, do you think, do you think they predispose us to how we actually view, approach, and perhaps even experience sex? I think that they definitely have, they, they can have a huge impact on, on us, you know, so, um, I'm not going to say that it's like <laughs> the reason, but I think I that, it, yeah. but yeah, I mean, God, we can experience so much and, you know, you can have a completely secure childhood and then experience trauma as a young adult or as an adult. And that can, that can shape your attachment style as well. But you are absolutely spot on when you're talking about most of it, um, is stemmed from, our attachments to our caregivers. So whether that's our, our parents, our grandparents, you know, if you had a nanny, I don't know, um, how, how we form attachments very early on. Um, and it does, you know, it can have a huge effect in how we end up relating to people. I mean, I think that you can identify with different attachment styles with different partners even. And I forgot where I was reading it, but, um, you know, our attachment styles are subject to change as well. So I think like one of the, hopefully one of the greatest takeaways that whoever's listening to this, hi, um, will have is that nothing is set in stone. Nothing is set in stone, you know, because you could be chugging along, going great and like, oh, I'm a secure, I've had a wonderful (laughs) childhood or whatever. And then something like a global pandemic could totally rock your whole bow and shift how you start relating to people. So you just never know what will happen. And so I think that by keeping one an open heart and an open mind, um, it helps navigating all mm. of the wild things that happen in this life. You know, we're not promised anything and who knows what can happen. Um, so I think, you know, and, and that's where people get a little mixed up, but yeah, I mean, as somebody who, you know, predominantly most of my life, I, I've been anxious, you know, there've been times where I've been the avoidant one. Ooh. <laughs> um, I'm like, ah, goodbye. Um, <laughs> and then, you know, now I'm feeling very, I'm feeling much more secure where I'm at. So, and I think it's, I think it's great. I think, you know, for me, I'm kind of, I'm very experimental in my, in my life experience. I would rather, you know, I would rather have experienced these different things so that I, I can identify them and know how to deal with them. But I think that understanding your attachment style is really important. Um, I think that being able to identify your partner's attachment style is really important as well. Um, because especially there's, there's a thing called the anxious avoidant trap. Some people Mm. refer to it as the passion paradox (laughs) and some people refer to it as the, um, 
the pursuer and the distancer, I think I've heard before. And that is a trap that I think a lot of us fall into. So essentially like in attachment work, um, they're saying that a secure person can have a relationship with anyone <laughs> and secure people make up predominantly, I think it's like over 50% of the yeah, population that's what i've read as well, yeah bob but yeah. <laughs> uh, i'm like uh, oh, uh, if i was secure to deal with your cuckoo banana i i did but um you know but the the anxious avoidant you know trap is is ends up being a push-pull dynamic where one partner mm -hmm. who is anxious you know is constantly needing affirmation you know and so they kind of push and then the avoidant partner gets overwhelmed by their needs, which are valid. It's okay to have needs. It's okay. Everyone's always like, I don't want to be needy. I'm like, you can be. You, It's okay. Every, everybody's needy. You know, we need validation from our partners. It doesn't make you a bad person. You know, it's just about going about it in a, in a healthy way that's good for everybody. But um, yeah. The avoidant partner pulls away, push, pull, and then the anxious person then was like retracts as, you know, protest behavior, and then it turns into this game. Then the avoidant person comes back, then things are good for a while, then it's more, you know, and it's just over and over and over again, this pretty toxic, it can be pretty toxic cycle. Yeah, no, absolutely. So I think, so I suppose more generally, since we all fall into different buckets as individuals, what, what advice would you give, like more holistic advice would you give to those who are learning how to navigate and negotiate their social, sexual environment? Uh, the first thing I would advise is to create a list of wants and needs and desires in a relationship. Um, that's one of the most important things anyone can do. Knowing that will give you a lot of clarity. Secondly, secondly, I would say, um, what are some of your boundaries in a relationship? Like knowing the more prep work you can do, because also I feel that as for some singles, especially people who have been single for a while, it's like you kind of forget, but like relationships are hard work. You know, it's not like, oh, I started dating somebody and so easy. Like sometimes when you start dating somebody, all of your stuff can be triggered even more. That's like when you actually have to do the work. So the more clear you can be about your boundaries and what you want and need in a relationship and the values, like what values are important to you in a partner and in a relationship, you know, the clearer you're going to be able to identify kind of like red flags and green flags in a relationship and then you can avoid wasting any time you know like for me there's a, there can be some power dynamics or some power issues in relationships and I got to the point where I was like I'm not doing this anymore <laughs> like relationships shouldn't be so hard they might not always be easy but they, sh they should be for the most part not a constant like what why all the drama there shouldn't you know I want to have fun with my friend who is also my lover you know like I, I want to have intimacy I don't want to be nitpicking and fighting all the time so once you once you can identify the red flags it becomes a lot easier in my opinion to 
you know, it, it all takes practice because it's, it's really easy for me to say it, but even in my own practice in dating, it took me some time because I would, <laughs> you know, I would still fall prey to my old patterns and behaviors. And it takes time to be like, to say no, um, to really know your worth and, and choose something different for yourself. But having that list, wants, needs, values, desires in a relationship, what your boundaries are, things, you know, that, you know, what are hard no's, hard yeses, and then things that you're flexible about because, um, yeah, you'll just save a lot of time and anguish. And, and knowing early, like, I feel like I see it so often um, in clients and friends and even myself you know, where people start dating and they're like, Oh, I'm so excited about this person. But then there's all these red flags and stuff like that. But then they're like, Oh, I haven't had attention or like good sex in a while. And, and then they stay or they're like, Oh, well, I can try to change and I can da 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 da. And it's like, you know, the earlier you can kind of cut it, the better it is for everyone. You know, I think at least for you or for me. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think, I think you make a really good point about, um, like knowing your worth and knowing when to say no, I think yeah, a lot of that is probably also linked to um, sexual expectations and misconceptions. Ooh, and I, yeah. I think there are a lot of misconceptions about sex, love, mm. and relationships that have contributed to our expectations of ourselves and our partners in the bedroom. And yeah. I mean, look, I think some of these expectations, you know, may have been generate generationally acquired. Others mm -hmm. might have come from like media and mm -hmm. what we've yeah. what we've even learned from our, our own past relationships and then carry into new relationships, whether the expectations are realistic yeah. or not. I'm That's a good one. I'm not sure if you, Yeah, I I don't know if you agree and if like if so, do you um you know, how how do we like why do you think this is and how do we change it? <laughs> Yeah, no, I I do agree. Yeah, it comes from a lot of different sources. Um, I guess it's a loaded question. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I I'm just think I'm just reflecting because I'm I'm sitting here thinking, you know, I'm having this almost internal <laughs> debate because I don't think expectations mm -hmm. on a relationship are necessarily healthy at all. I, mm -hmm. you know, I don't think it's fair to have expectations, but, um, but then the, uh, another part of me is like, but there are certain boundaries, <laughs> you know, or like, yeah, may maybe they are expectations. There's other characteristics that are important. So like trust is really important. Respect in a relationship. Like I would hope that, that's something, all of these things are earned, right? They're earned. So when you expect somebody to, to trust you and, and to respect you when you haven't put in any of the work or effort and vice versa, you know, it can come off a little mm, <laughs> unwelcoming. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. so instead of just expecting things offhand, it's like, you have to realize that things take time to grow. Um, so I would, I would just encourage eliminating any expectations, but eliminating expectations doesn't mean that you, you can't, um, hold boundaries around your worth and are able to say no, like just because I'm not 
enforcing, you know, I mean, and some expectations might be okay. Like I expect you to treat me well. And if you don't, you know, you can hit the fucking road, but, <laughs> but like, <laughs> I think that the more, when, when we're expecting so much, it's almost like a projection and it, and it can create the, okay. Oh, finally, this word came to me. It's like, what are expectations versus standards? Like you can have standards in a relationship without having like expectations that people can't fulfill. Does that make yeah. sense? Sorry. Yeah. It took me a second yeah, to get but It does. It does. And you know, I, I just had this like thought. Well, I, I wanted to say I had this thought the other day. It's not the other day. I feel like I've had this, this thought my whole life. But <laughs> I feel like there are still a lot of expectations placed on women and women identifying individuals in the bedroom. Oh, and my God. Perhaps, yes. <laughs> perhaps not as many on men or men identifying individuals, but I, I don't know. Perhaps this is unfair of me to say, and, and there might even be just as many, if not more, expectations of men, too. Like, what do you think? Well, yeah, there's a lot going on in that question. So one, I would say I've seen that like in that heteronormative perspective, um, I would say that, yeah, there, I think there are different expectations, um, for, for men and women. Um, I think that, it can go on both sides though. And I think just in general, there are a lot, of, there's a lot of pressure when it comes to sex. And so a lot of yeah. the work, a lot of my work revolves around kind of, um, eliminating these pressures, these societal, you know, pressures that we have to perform in the bedroom. Right. Because I think that for, you know, cishet people, they're like, Oh, okay. Like, I'm the man. So I have to, you know, act like this in the bedroom. And then the woman's like, Oh, I'm the woman. So I have to act like this. Right. And it's like, throw all of that out the door because none of it matters. You know, like the important thing about sex is feeling good and, and pleasure, make, making sure that your pleasure is a priority and that your partner's pleasure is a priority. And leaving your partners better than how you found them. So I think like, yeah, the more we can eliminate these expectations, um, these pressures, these gender norms, these like constructs of how we're supposed to act and behave, the more freedom we're going to be able to have to actually enjoy ourselves and have a good time in the bedroom and in our relationships, you know, because you can be a cishet female and have very masculine qualities and you can be a cishet man and have very feminine qualities, you know? Um, and I think that, and I think that that's a beautiful thing. I and mean, we all have these qualities within us. And so I think that the more that we embrace them instead of, you know, well, I'm a woman and I have breasts, so I can only act a certain way. It's like, what? <laughs> Oh, hell no. No, 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 no. And so many people, so many, yeah, so many people, you know, have, have totally rebelled against that. And with good reason, because even for me, I identify as a woman, but there are so many times that I don't feel like a woman, <laughs> you know, I, I feel other or 
I feel like a tomboy, you know, I, I feel like I could be the dude, shit, you know, like, <laughs> that's okay, that's just part of my power, but, you know, it's, I think it's, it's okay to be all of these different parts of ourselves, and I think that the more we lean into that, um, <laughs> the more self-acceptance that we have, the more we realize our worth and how special we all are, truly, you know, um, we all have unique gifts that we can bring to our partnerships and into this world in general. And so I think that identifying who you are and establishing that love um, for yourself without having expectation of what you're supposed to dress like and what relationships you're supposed to be in and how you're supposed to show up in the bedroom, you know, but instead having standards, right? Like, I'm not going to tolerate any abuse, you know, mentally, physically, emotionally, sexually, none of it, you know, uh, and some of my standards include, you know, people who communicate well and, you know, all these yeah. other things. Yeah. Then you start to create the kinds of relationships, um, I think that are, that are healthy and more beneficial and, and celebrate who you are, if any of well, that makes sense. Well, no, it, it, it does. And I think, you know, speaking of communication, what, like, what is the key to great sex? Is it, is it communication? <laughs> is it, is it, is it trust? Is it self-worth and confidence? Like all the, uh, you know, secure attachment style individuals out there, or, or is it a combination of these things? I, I, I mean, I'm not sure. I'm not saying that there is a, a winning formula, but it'd be great to have a starter for 10. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I think it is a great, mix of all of these different elements um so at least in my in my opinion in my sex life um I have the best sex when I feel respected when I feel safe when I trust the person even you know you can develop a sense of trust with somebody even if you're just having a one-night stand and you've never met them before you know there's different levels <laughs> you know again like none of these things are blanket statements like this is what trust is you know it's like it looks different it looks different in all the in all relationships you know there's different levels yeah. but you know respect all of these different things communication is a huge one um and so mm -hmm. having the language to again I feel I feel like a robot but to be able to ask for what you need in the bedroom is so important because I think that and to ask for consent, consent, consent is a huge part of sex. You know, like sex is going to be better for me when I'm with a partner who is like, I think you're beautiful and I, can I kiss you? You know, can I touch your breasts? Can I go down on you? And I'm like, yes, 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 you can. <laughs> Please go get down there. But it feels a lot different when I have somebody who just starts kissing me, starts touching me, starts going down on me, you know, especially as a survivor of, you know, sexual trauma. Um, it doesn't feel good, you know, and it can be triggering. So consent is really important. Um, and communication again is that that's a key part of communication. And then, being able to communicate what you want and need, you know, if it's again, a one night stand, a casual hookup or your life partner or whatever, you know, um, if you're not able to get that across, if you're not able 
to be like, hey, it feels really good for me when you do a circular motion with your tongue, when, when you are fingering me slowly and not, <laughs> you know, whatever, stabbing my vagina, you know, like I, I really like it when you, um, tell me what you think about when you masturbate, you know, all of these, that really turns me on. Or I love it when we play different scenarios, you know, that really gets me going. If you're just uh, silent and passive in your sexuality, like it's going to come around to bite you in the ass because none of us are mind readers and we have to being in relationship with one another, even if it's a casual sexual one, you have to be able to communicate these things because no one's going to know. It's a constant teaching. It's a constant well, learning process. What, what do you do if you're in a relationship or a partnership and you find yourself um, not having any issues talking openly about sex, but perhaps your partner, um, you know, your partner's engaged, they're listening, but it's not actually going in. Like how, how oh. do you, you know, you mm. love that individual, right? Or perhaps it's like the start of a, yeah. you know, like blossoming relationship and everything else is there like the sexual attraction is there like mentally you're the right fit but in the bedroom it's just like a fucking disaster uh, so yes. you speak to them and you tell them how you feel um and they say yes 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 but then there's like there's no there's no change mm. how do you like where do you draw the line <laughs> well I would <laughs> <laughs> you're so fun to talk to I love these scenarios um I would say having a communication is not just one person talking at another person, you know, engaged listening is part of it, but there, there needs to be, you know, it's two people in conversation with each other, you know, and if one person, if, and it could be about anything. I mean, God, if I was in a relationship with somebody where I'm like, Hey, so we live together and, um, we, you know, divvied out our chores and your chores cleaning the bathroom and the bathroom hasn't been cleaned. I've been doing all of the dishes and I take care of the main room. You know, I would really love it if you could stay on top of that. And they're just like, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, I'm on it. I'm on it. And then they just never clean the bathroom. Oh, it would drive me nuts. <laughs> and if, and sexually, it's the same way. If you're just nodding and just waiting for the conversation to be over instead of actively engaging with it with no real like promise of actually putting forth the effort can be incredibly frustrating and it, it's even more frustrating because <laughs> when you're not in like healthy communication with your partner it just calls for more communicating <laughs> which is super annoying um <laughs> so in that scenario I you know it's then it's about, you know, having that conversation again and being like, Hey, I know we've talked about this, but I feel like the last time we talked about it, I didn't really hear much from you. And this is really important to me. Uh, you know, I, I, I want to be able to connect with you on this physical level, on this physically intimate level. And 
what I need from you. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not, my needs aren't being met right now. And I, I would love to hear what your thoughts are about sex, about our physical relationship, because I felt like the last time you were just nodding and saying yes, but I'm not really seeing any action in the bedroom and, and, you well, know, either well, it makes well, me feel frustrated or, you know, <laughs> there's so much that can come from that. Cause then those people normally, they don't want to have the conversation again. It takes so much courage, especially I think as female and femme identifying persons to be able to ask for what you need in bed, not only because of the violence yeah. that can be there, you know, no offense or shade to male counterparts, but like, you know, there's, it's really hard for anybody. I'll just say for anybody in general, no matter how you identify, it's really hard to ask for what you need, especially in the bedroom. You don't want to burst anybody's ego, but having to ask for it again, so many partners just shut down and then they're just like, all right, they're never going to, he's never going to change. So I'm just going to keep faking orgasms and masturbating because all the other stuff is working great. But like, how sad is that? You know, like, yeah. I don't know. Sorry. I didn't well, mean to interrupt you. What would you, what would you say? No, no, not at all. But what would you say? Like for those who are in long-term relationships, um, who perhaps have had all the passion, you know, when, mm. when things started out, um, how do you man maintain passion as the relationship matures and we, we change as individuals? And do you think it's fair for us to still expect the same passion we have in the beginning of a relationship? I mean, we talked about expectations before. Yeah. Right? I'm like, no. So, so I, yeah. How, how does one, you know, for, for those who are in, in, in committed partnerships and relationships at the moment, like how do you keep that sense of passion alive? And I guess, how do you keep the passion alive just generally, even for those who aren't in relationships, but like post, covid it's like oh my god you know um mm, yeah for everybody who's been quarantined together <laughs> yeah exactly they're like i have brushed my teeth while you pooped so there, there's <laughs> no more passion <laughs> um sorry that was graphic Triggering. especially um, in new york city where you're living in a tiny shoebox that's for sure yeah my god yeah um I, yeah, expectation, no. I mean, everyone goes through the honeymoon phase uh, a great way, you know, and then if if you've been in a long-term partnership, you may have experienced that where you're like, oh, it was hot and heavy at the beginning, and then you kind of settle down into something a little more stable and routine, and maybe the passion goes away for a little bit, or, you know, everyone has different people. Like I said, everything's dynamic, so sex drives are there they fluctuate it's an it's natural it happens um this comes up a lot and being like okay well we were totally on and now I'm feeling sexual and my partner isn't feeling as sexual and so how can we meet in the middle um I don't I think a way to keep passion there um is looking at sexuality like a practice I mean, do you wake up and do yoga every day? Do you wake up and do your self-care routine every day? And, you know, your, <laughs> your face stuff and whatever. You have your whole routine. Sexuality is no different. It, you, <laughs> if, you don't, if you don't really, like, engage with it, then, yeah, some of the charisma, some of the enthusiasm is going to go away. But if you dedicate 
time to it. And I always recommend time for yourself and with your partner. I think so many couples are like, oh, well, I'm in a relationship, so I don't need to masturbate. Or some couples are even like, masturbating is cheating? What? No. No. Just going to go ahead and clear that up. The most important relationship you're ever going to have is with yourself. And, you know, and having a partner is fabulous. But it is so important to maintain your sexual relationship with yourself as well. Because what you're doing is you are engaging with your body. And connecting with our bodies, ourselves, and with partners is one of the most important things that helps us feel alive. You know, it helps us feel pleasure. If, if I'm totally disconnected from my body, it is way harder for me to receive pleasure. I'll just go ahead and say that, like period. But when I'm connected to my body, and that's why I say it's a practice, and when my partner's connected to their body, you know, it's a lot easier for us to stay, to stay connected sexually, to have that passion there. And so it might not be a crazy like lingerie woo-woo-woo moment all the time, but part of passion is, you know, a lusting for one another. And God, passion grows and change, changes and evolves too. I mean, when you're in a relationship with someone for a long time, feeling passionately about them could be like, wow, you wake up every morning and you get the kids up and then you make breakfast and you let me sleep in most days of the week. I'm going to suck your dick so good tonight, period. You know, like that, you know, passion can look like that too. Like it, it's an appreciation for our partner, you know, and understanding that and being like, wow, I see all the hard work that you're putting in, you know, and, and, um, and then again, part of that is communication. You know, it can be keeping the passion alive can be as simple as expressing gratitude <laughs> for sex, you know, and being like after sex being like, wow after all these years, you still have it, you know, you still know exactly how to touch me. You still turn me on. You're still the person that I think about when I masturbate. Like, thank you for, you know, whatever. Like, I think a lot of it has to do with that. Just dedicating time for you and your partner to, to be sexual. Um, and then also really changing what your perception of sex is, you know, if mm. sex is only looking one way to you, you know, sex is the heteronormative penis and vagina, you know, it's like, ugh, yeah, like that is one way to have sex, but there are a million other ways to have sex. You want to, you want to have passion in your relationship and you know, your partner likes when you send hot photos of yourself. Why don't you drop a little nude while they're at work, you know, I don't know, do something fun, mix it, up. Keep it, mix it up, yeah, and not only is it great for them, but you feel sexually empowered too, because you're taking hot pictures of yourself, and you're like, yeah, I still fuck, you know, like, we've been together for six years, and I can still make him get a boner at his desk, mm. power, you know, <laughs> like, there's, but I think, yeah, no, and I think, you know, you, you, you make a good point. Like the takeaway is, you know, sex is something that we need to continue to work on for ourselves and with ourselves as, you know, uh, individuals, but also with our, our partners. Um, what would you say then, Shelby? My gosh, there's so many good nuggets here. I, I could talk to you all day about this. I feel like we need to like break out a bottle of wine. Now, but... <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> if you had um, like a minute shout out or a key takeaway to to some of our listeners that you'd like to leave them with, like what would you what would you say to them? I would say that wherever you are in your in your journey with yourself sexually, um, emotionally, um, you're right where you need to be. And if you have the time to get more curious about your sexuality, I say go for it. Um, start with yourself. Uh, one of the great things about exploring yourself sexually is learning all the different ways that you can receive pleasure. I can't tell you when I was a when okay, sorry, mini rant, but when I was younger, I would masturbate in the same position all the time. And when I started switching positions, I was like, oh, oh my gosh. Wow. Revelation. Game changer. Even just a little bit. Even just a little bit of a shift seeing what my body was capable of. Um, but I would say, you know, keep an open heart and keep an open mind. Uh, and, and practice communicating. You know, communication. All of this is a practice. And it is something that you will continuously work on for the rest of your life. And I don't say that in a daunting way. I say it in an exciting way because that just means you're entering a world of possibilities. You don't ever have to get stuck in the same routine because you're learning that sex and love is so much more than maybe what you've been presented. It could be anything. And you have the power and the ability to design whatever kind of sexual, romantic, you know, et cetera, relationship that you want to have. Um, so really it's quite freeing. And once you start becoming less afraid, you start realizing how wonderful it is to be able to connect with all these different kinds of people. And most importantly, connect with yourself. Um, so Good luck. You've got this. You are sexy and cool. And if you need anything, I'm just one DM away on Instagram, you know? <laughs> well, that was certainly spicy. It's been great having you all with us. And we look forward to the next episode when we welcome fitness coach and co-founder of Grindhouse, Lewis Renox, who speaks to us about long-term versus short-term gains, failure, and different ways of learning. How Long Have You Got is hosted by me, Emma Blackmore, and co-produced with B. Pizarra Aparizio. Sound design by Billy Clark. Music by The Amazing Parallels. And cover art by Milena DeLuca. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you all soon. <laughs>